my family's restaurant business is a big operation and I never wanted to continue doing a brick and mortar. I wanted to step away from that because it requires a lot of capital and time. Not that the night market doesn't, it requires a lot of time and investment, but it's a different, more personal experience where you can directly connect with people as they come get your food. They'll talk to you. They'll share their experience with other vendors. And then you also get to connect with other vendors as well, which is really nice. You really build a relationship and you become a family over time, I think. Hello, this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Esmitra Kalita, your host for today and publisher and founder of Epicenter NYC. Earlier this month at an event at the Queens Museum, we unveiled the findings of a first-of-its-kind study titled New York City's New Small Business Incubators. The study was commissioned by our partners, Citizens Bank, and was conducted by Epicenter NYC. During the event, we also brought together a group of small business owners who shared stories about how the Queen's Night Market played a pivotal role in their success. The conversation was moderated by on-air correspondent Diana Perez. Today, we'll share highlights from this discussion. The voices you'll hear include Hannah Saber Tara of Persian Eats NYC, Wanda Chu of Hong Kong Street Food, Rosangela Arnold of Brazilicious, Joey Batista of Joey Bats Cafe, and finally, Lenin Costas of Don Ceviche. Later, I'll ask Mike McIntyre from Citizens Bank for his thoughts. Let's dive in. So I have a few questions um, for each and every single one of you, and I would like to get started with Hannah. Hannah, you've been in the food business along with your family for a really long time. Um, why did you launch at the Queen's Night Market, and what has that meant for you? Sure. Um, I've been in the restaurant business my entire life. My family has restaurants in New York, and I grew up in it, and I love the environment, and I wanted to continue spreading our culture and our food uh, on a smaller scale, on a more personal scale. So I started looking into um, avenues that I can reach out to people on, start seeing more people enjoy my food and get feedback directly from them. And I thought the night market would be a great opportunity for me to connect more with people and share our culture and our food. And yeah, my, uh, my family's restaurant business is a big operation and I never wanted to continue doing a brick and mortar restaurant. I wanted to step away from that because it requires a lot of capital and time. Not that the night market doesn't, it requires a lot of time and investment. Uh, but it's a different, more personal experience where you can directly connect with people as they come get your food uh, they'll talk to you. They'll share their experience with other vendors. And then you also get to connect with other vendors as well, which is really nice. You really build a relationship and you become a family over time, I think. Ms. Wanda from yeah. Hong Kong Street Food. You've been at the Queensland Market since 2015. Oh my yes. God, time flies. Yes. Wow, I love that. What inspired you to launch? And what is something you want people to know about your food? And um, I remember when I was little, going home from school, after school, I couldn't resist getting any of those street food. It smells so good. It looks so good. And when my family moved here to New York, and I realized I could no longer find those food. I kind of miss those street food that I had when I was little. So I tried to recreate all those dishes in my own kitchen. 
and I, I make my children, my family, you know, test them. My son grew up eating my foods. And when Prince Night Market launched in 2015, he told me about it. And he asked me I should be one of the vendor. And I guess that's how Hong Kong Street Food launched at the time. Now we have Rose from Brazilicious. Well, Rose, similar to your peers, the Queen's Night Market has helped you grow and expose your business. What would you say has been the evolution? Walk us through that. I usually say that the reason it's everything's an accident. I didn't grow up cooking. Then I became a mother (laughs) and that changed everything. That's when I quit my job and had to stay home with my son. And, um, And then I decided that I wanted to actually make Brazilian food for him. That brought me into YouTube from YouTube to Cook Network. Um, and there was a show at the time called Recipe for Success. And I was at home with Aiden and I started, I saw a recipe for the cheese rolls on YouTube. And I said, wow, that looks very easy. Let me go and make it. Was a disaster, but it tastes good. <laughs> and I started with that show, TV show, Recipe for Success, I was like, you know what, maybe that can grow. Maybe, you know, I, I'm up to something at the time. There was no business in the United States that was selling the cheese rolls, but it was very hard for me. And I had absolutely no experience in, you know, having a business or anything. And a friend of mine who have a food business, a food cart, she was selling at the La Marqueta and she asked me to sell to, sell to her the cheese rolls. And over there, we learned about the Queen's Night Market. It was the first year that one of the vendors there was selling here. And she said, she told my friend um, that she could sell here. So we came together, me and her, we shared a booth. Um, I was selling just the cheese rolls. We're not selling much. She left because with her own business, she couldn't keep up with both. And I decided to stay. But I was not, I was barely breaking even at the time. But I saw that the people who were selling a lot have had lines, they actually were selling kind of what I would call a full meal. They had like a protein dish. People were going there for dinner, not just for the snack. And I decided to create a sandwich. And we started with Brazilian sausage. Didn't pick up. Then chicken, nothing. And it was like, all right, what else is like 100% Brazilian that I can, you know, adapt here? So I put the Brazilian steak, the picanha. And also said Americans, they like spicy food. I added a little bit smoked chipotle pepper to make it more American. Created my own sauce. And the sales went for like, I don't know, 1% to 100%. Then my lines like became huge. People were coming back. They were bringing friends. And to make a long story short, that's where I am now. Last year, uh, I think was the first year that I am full time at the market. Up wow. to that time, yeah, up to that time, I was still working. Um, and now I'm just doing that full time. Talk about talk about reinventing yourself. Yes, Amazing. definitely, and and that wouldn't happen without the Queen's Night Market. Wow, without the affordability of how much we pay to be there as a vendor. Yeah. Well, Joey. So great to also meet you, Joey, from Joey Bass Cafe. Share your, how, how, how you launched a brick and mortar and what you had to do in the height of COVID to stay afloat. Yeah, so I started with my mom's cake in the summer of 2016. 
uh, I was making it at home and naturally to keep a full-time job, I was uh, wholesaling it to restaurants. The selling part was easy. I've never cooked anything. So thankfully it was a no-bake cake. So it was good. <laughs> Uh, and then I would just do that. And then uh, eventually, after a couple months, I was like, all right, so the restaurant, the thing is working. This has legs. Why don't I try bodegas? Because bodegas, delis are on every corner in the city, right? Why don't I put them in a little yogurt cup? And I was selling to, I think it was 15 or 16 bodegas. Now, the, the, the light bulb moment that I had then was I would drop them off and they would pay me for them, but then they would start eating them. And I was like, this isn't wholesale, guys. I need exposure <laughs> to my business. So uh, I was probably four months in and I called my mom in Portugal. I was like, listen, we should try doing the natas instead because it's just easier to manage, easier to scale. Because I was an engineer, so this part is easier for me. Mm. Like this, you're thinking in that way, that method. So I started selling the natas and I, I, I had a couple of fairs that I'd went to. And then a, a friend of mine suggested the Queensland market. And what I found was that I was like, it was just so easy. I'd set up, everything was very organized. So I was like, no, this is, this is it. So then I left my... My, bit, my my career in 2017, in June of 27, you know, on the highs, like, I was like, I'm killing it. I'm, what I found was, like, the, the Queensland market was the most, like, easy to manage. I could go. I'd set up in 20 minutes. We'd sell. We'd pack up the tent and everything at the end of the night. So that was great. And I did that. And, you know, my, I'd say one mistake I like to tell a lot of people is I, I quit my career too early. Because what happened was the winter comes along and there's no Queensland market for me to sell in. Because I was living wow. off the market for a year almost. So I learned that lesson the hard way, of course, pushing wholesale, just selling to everybody that would sell my natas. And uh, so June 2018, I decided I need to jump over to deep end and I got my first retail shop. And that is very difficult, but there's a lot of good lessons learned there. But I still continue to do the night market. It's easy. I go. I could leave a couple people there. We do our thing. and It's just very, very easy. And that's how it all started. And from there, it was just, all right, let me take that money from the Queensland market and put it into another location, another location. And then... then Everything was rocking and rolling until COVID came. I think I got to a point just before COVID where I was selling 20,000 tarts a week. And then COVID came. So COVID, I think, from a small business perspective, is literally the worst case scenario. You can't have people in your store. You can't have people outside your store or there's got to be spaced out. They're afraid to leave their apartments. Like that was the worst. So I closed three locations. I had one on uh, a pop-up on Lexington in 47. I had just signed a lease in Little Brazil, which was supposed to be my number one. So I lost all that money. And then little by little, I was actually like people were coming and drinking on the sidewalk and, you know, eating. And we started selling some savory bites and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, okay, cool. Well, momentum, momentum. I ended up tripling my revenue on Allen Street, my original location, both with an online business that I ran next door in the space next door. And I was the first one in New York to build one of those outdoor sheds. Right? Even the mayor's people came by and they're like, this is really nice, but this is too much. I'm like, I don't give a shit. You guys come knock it down. <laughs> like people, this is like zombie apocalypse. I don't know what else to, how else to describe it, but I can't just give up what I started. Thank you so much. Now we have Mr. Lenny of Don Ceviche. Yes. You were also impacted by COVID. You started at the Queens Night Market in 2017, but he's launching his second restaurant. Share with us how you managed and how have you evolved? I always worked in the restaurant business for too many years. I'm from Lima, Peru. So my grandma, my grandma, she used to have like a restaurant in Peru. So I grew up, you know, watching my ma uh, grandma cooking, recipes, all that stuff. So when I moved to New York 20 years ago, I worked in the restaurant like a buzzer, dishwasher, uh, server, waiter. So what's the moment when I say like, you know, this is the top. So after this, what's going up? You know, like a... I can be the uh, owner or sharing anything. 
So I want to start my own business. And I said, wow, it's open a restaurant. It's a lot of money, insurance. So I decided like uh, looking for markets. So when I see like a Queensland market, it's a great opportunity. A friend told me, you got to go there. It's a lot of people, traffic. And I said, I want to try. So I'm going to start selling ceviches. So when I start in Queensland market, I see, you know, have a lot of potential. So and the next year, I jump into the city to the excess market where I'm right now. So I start selling ceviches, causas. So I'm doing well for two years. And after that, when the COVID came, oh my God, I was, was a little scared, you know, the situation, what's going to happen. So I closed for two months. But when I have ceviche, I added also a Peruvian rusticity chicken, you know, with the green sauce, with the rice and beans, with the lomo saltado. And I think it, that helped me a lot, you know, that's, I say, a lot of more extra income. So I'm doing well for the last four years. I'm doing so great. So I say, you know, I think I'm very busy. I need to do something else. So last year, I got in my head, I have to open my restaurant now, you know, restaurant with tables, uh, sangria, beer, wine. Opening a restaurant is very hard because, you know, they ask you for a lot of permits. Uh, I'm almost for one year and a half. Uh, you know, you have to have insurance, architect, engineer, a lot of things. But a lot of details. Wow, crazy. <laughs> but wow. finally, maybe like a, in one week, I'm going to open a restaurant. So. Amazing. I'm Congratulations. So now I have one question for each one of you. This is a very epicenter NYC question. What is the one thing, the one thing you need from those of us here to best support you? Hannah? Um, the quick answer is just good Saturday weather. Wanda? Even though we're only doing once a week, there's a lot of work. So I would like people to support us. When you come and visit us, give us some good comments or something to encourage us to, so we could do better. How about you, Ms. Rose? Um, bookkeeping. I'm really bad at it. Bookkeeping. Okay. Yeah. Joey? Uh, yeah, if you could just send all your friends and family to any of my shops, it'd be amazing. So spread the word. Spread the word. How about you? For me, yeah, maybe bookkeeper, uh, accounting. Yeah. So I just want to briefly segue us. In so many ways, you all just um, did what Epicenter tries to do, which is to center our communities, to center our businesses. And also, I love that none of us can separate our identities from the work and from our businesses. And so if I could just indulge you, my own grandmother kind of influencing my entrepreneurship, you know, she ran a farm and she would always say, you must feed people before you get to business. And so I feel like this event is like in honor of my grandmother. We've fed you. It's been amazing. We heard from the people that uh, make our food. And what I would like to now do is just summarize a little bit of the uh, the report that Epicenter and Citizens Bank worked on. One area that I think each of the businesses talked about was that the encounter of their food um, is just the beginning in the relationship, right? And so 84% of respondents said that the night market was the first time they made a purchase of these vendors. One third go on to visit them again. And so just in terms of the transition that um, the exposure and the marketing that night markets as the ones we're about to hear from represent, 
Um, and then the ability to create loyalty, which is those of us, again, who run businesses know is exactly what we're after. Um, I really cling to that statistic from the report. Um, the last area I just wanted to mention is that overwhelmingly when asked why they attend night markets, the, at the attendees said it's for the cultural experience. And so as we plot the future of New York City, this report really underscores that we cannot separate our culture and our identities from commerce. So joining me on the dais is Mike McIntyre from Citizens Bank. You've been in this a long time. What was going through your mind in their varying stages of growth, the pain, the joy, and gosh, the heart and soul of entrepreneurship? A restaurant owner, a food vendor, you are the CEO, the CFO, the supply chain manager, the uh, dishwasher. And, 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 as, and as a banker, you know, it's our job to try to make sense of, of the business. And obviously, we rely upon uh, data. And that data typically comes from, from tax returns and, and financial statements. But what, what's very clear to me is you can never underestimate what you see on paper when talking to a business owner, particularly a business owner that's, that's starting out or, or, or growing their business in a very meaningful way. And so we, we work very closely with uh, CDFIs, which are community development financial institutions. They help many of our customers, particularly in the food industry, food carts, food vendors, uh, to help become bankable over time. Because obviously a, a startup is, is always a challenge because you're always struggling to do everything at the same time. And so, you know, listening to the, to the, to the stories and, and, and you can see that the amount of blood, sweat and tears and energy and emotion, you know, as a banker, you know, you, you have to take that in because that's part of the story. And as, as lenders, we have to make sure that uh, we're, we're, we're prudent in how we lend, but also recognizing that we, we have to invest back into these communities. For hundreds of vendors like Hannah, Wanda, Rosangela, Joe and Lennon, the Queen's Night Market has been a bridge between home and New York City. It's also been a way to connect with other entrepreneurs and launch or ramp up a small business. To learn more about the Queen's Night Market's role as a small business incubator, check out our report by clicking the link in our show notes. Special thanks to the Queen's Night Market, Think Chinatown, and our partners at Citizens Bank. That's all for today. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. For more stories like this, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at epicenter-nyc.com. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karaviga. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description. <laughs>